Let us pray. Gracious Lord, along with John the Baptist, we pray that you would increase and we would decrease. We pray, Lord, that by your word you would increase the the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that we might be more like you this day and all our days. Plant your word deep within us this day for your son's glory, and it is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As I am sure many, if not all of us, have come to realize, sometimes things happen in life. The unexpected is one of the few things we can seem to expect. If only we knew something would happen a certain way, we would have done it differently, we say. For example, if I had known or anticipated that this would be our last in-person service of 2020, I probably wouldn't have had me preaching from a text that is all about judgment. (laughs) That first first, uh, Thessalonians reading sounds pretty good right about now. I probably would have picked a text about the steadfast love of God or or even Habakkuk 1 where we could talk about how the Lord moves in, in ways that we don't expect or can't see but that are so good for us. Instead... We have a text with the refrain, woe to him. (laughs) It's interesting, though. As much as this sort of passage may not be in our top five or even our top 100 list of scriptures, the truth is that the passages that speak of God's judgment teach us something wonderful about the heart of God. We do well to remember that when it comes from a source of love and desire for the betterment of the other, telling someone where their actions lead is not a vice. Of course, there's ways of doing that that are helpful and others that are, shall we say, less so. But when it comes from God, we know that it is from our good or for our good. Because as we remember from our sermon last week, The very nature of God is to be trustworthy and to act for the good of his people. I was teasing some folks around the church this week that we all want all of our sermons and our scriptures to be like a big old Jesus hug that leaves us feeling warm and fuzzy. We all love that, don't we? But that forgets that scripture, as the author of Hebrews tells us, is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces us. And it does so to bring necessary conviction. It's the role of scripture we don't like so much. But in truth, we need it because scripture doesn't convict for the sake of convicting. But so that in being pierced by the judgment that our sinfulness demands the wound of that piercing may be healed by the balm of the gospel. It's the truth that we need to be torn down to be built back up in a better, more Christ-like way. We need a heart of 
Our, our, we need our heart of stone replaced with one of flesh that God can write his laws upon. When passages like this morning's convict us, we are not then to just toss them aside and, and act as if they're relics of a bygone era that are irrelevant to our time and place. Rather, we are to bring that conviction to Jesus so that in acknowledging that conviction, we might find his comfort. And that's how I'd like us to approach this text this morning. It is genuinely convicting and challenging. And we don't want to shy away from that. But it also shows us where comfort and genuine hope come from. The conviction in our passage comes from a series of woe statements. There are five different occurrences of woe to him in this passage. And each woe highlights a behavior that is abhorrent to the Lord. Verses 6 through 8. Woe to him who accumulates wealth unjustly, who takes what is not his. Verses 9 through 11. Woe to him who gains unjustly and uses violence to do it. Verses 12 through 14. Woe to him who builds his empire through sin and iniquity. Verses 15 through 17, woe to him who seeks his own glory and shames, belittles, and dehumanizes others. Verses 18 through 20, woe to him who practices idolatry. Anyone feeling in the Christmas spirit yet? <laughs> These are heavy things. They are heavy Charges, and we're not going to walk through each of them this morning. We're going to focus on two. And the first one will be the last one from our passage, idolatry. Because in truth, all of these behaviors spring from idolatry. We take what is not ours and we build our empires however we can because of our idols. Because our idols look so beautiful. And are so tempting. As with Eve in the garden, we look upon our idol and see that it is a delight to our eyes. Verse 19 tells us the, that the idol is overlaid with gold and silver. It, it is attractive. We want them. And so we will do whatever is necessary to have them. We'll treat other people terribly. We will sin to get ahead. We will climb the corporate ladder or the social ladder on the backs of those who are beneath us. If you have your Bible with you this morning, or if you have it up on your, your smartphone, and you look at the start of our passage today, chances are it's titled something like, Woe to the Chaldeans. Now these titles are written by the, the translation and editing teams that put our English Bibles together. They are not a part of Scripture. Habakkuk didn't write a title, Woe to the Chaldeans. Those headings are there to help us. And there is no question that God has the Babylonians in view as he pronounces this judgment. 
But there is a sense in which these woes go far beyond the Babylonians. The pronouns, for example, here are in the third person singular, which you wouldn't exactly expect when you're talking about a nation. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, are not specifically referenced in our passage today. There is an intentional ambiguity here, an intentional ambiguity in the original language. And that ambiguity is meant to make us consider the wider ramifications of this teaching. After all, idolatry was not and is not limited to the Babylonian Empire. Idolatry was Israel and Judah's presenting sin. They were constantly trying to replace God with gods of their own creation, gods of wood and stone that were covered with beautiful gold and silver but had no power and could never speak. The very first thing they did after they left Egypt, Moses goes away for a while and they build an idol. And idolatry remains today. Even of good things, usually of good things. It's what we people do. We take good things and we make them God things. We give them God-like attributes and power that they were never intended to have. Just consider the, the moment that we're living in now. Just think about the COVID-19 vaccines in development. Now, I am a pro-vaccine guy. The first chance I get, I'll have my sleeve rolled up and they can stick me with whatever they want to stick me with. I am pro-vaccine. And I'm thankful that multiple are coming. But I have to say that the language that many are using these days about a COVID vaccine is bordering on idolatry. Some have convinced themselves that a vaccine will solve all the problems we face and everything will go back to normal. All because of this two-shot wonder drug. Friends, a vaccine will not bring back lost wages. It will not make finances whole. A vaccine will not bring back loved ones. It will not make whole wounded and broken hearts. A vaccine will not heal mental health issues related to shutdowns. It will help. It's a good thing. But it is not a God thing. And we must not give it that kind of power. Only God can provide that which we truly need. Only God can make us whole. And to put anything else, even if something as good as a vaccine, Anything else in his place is to make an idol of it. One that we wish would speak and act but never can. It's as John Calvin said, our hearts are a factory of idols. We can't stop producing them. And we can't because of the second woe I want us to look at this morning. It's in verse 9. says this, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. We create idols 
for security. It is human nature to seek security and stability. There are a few things that I long for more. I want peace and assurance and, and, and the sure knowledge that everything is going to be okay and my heart is restless without them. And I know many others are as well. And so we seek to settle that restlessness with whatever we can get our hands on, be it wealth or jobs or retirement plans. Shoot, some of us make idols of the past. If only things could be like the good old days. Nothing makes the good old days quite like a bad memory. Some of us make an idol of the future. If only people could keep progressing and moving forward, because that's what we do all the time, right? Just constant movement forward. The Babylonians had to keep conquering because they worshipped their power. They literally made gods of their power. Taking from others, having the biggest, baddest military in the world. They built their nest high on those things, thinking it would be safe. But if COVID has taught us anything, all of that can be stripped away. And so our hearts will remain restless with peace and security and comfort just out of our reach. Because as Augustine famously said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. That is the conviction that we must see and feel from this passage. We are not immune to the idolatry that drove Babylon and Judah to do terrible things. And so we are to repent of it. To bring our idols to Jesus and find our rest and our security and our peace in him to build those things upon his sure foundation. That's the conviction. Where's the comfort? Well, we could summarize it this way. God cares. It's really that simple. Like the parent who addresses their child's misbehavior out of love for the child, God speaks to us. He cares. He cares first about his glory, about his name. What I mean by that is that he cares that no one or nothing else takes his place. Verse 19 has this wonderful, ironic picture. People have, have created these idols and they look wonderful and they love them, they trust in them. And then they need the idol. And they shout, awake, arise. And it's just a dead object. It's pretty, but it's completely powerless. And the people shout all the more, awake, arise, do something, save us, help us. And then God arrives on the scene. But the Lord in it is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. 
The idolaters are shouting and screaming for their false gods to do something, but the presence of the true God comes and all falls silent. It is an image that is meant to convey genuine power and create genuine awe in the hearts of people. It is the image of God that all who truly worship him should have of him. That he is so worthy and so holy and so awe-inspiring that to be in his presence is to be lost in silent wonder and adoration. The comfort here is the greatness of God. That he is so great that when by his Holy Spirit he fills his church, he fills his people, the living, breathing temples of the Holy Spirit, he silences the idols of our hearts. Because he alone is God. He alone is great, and so he is not a God or a king who allows pretenders to his throne. He silences them. Our comfort is in knowing that we worship the true and everlasting Lord. And this knowledge should bring us to awe and wonder, to genuine worship. That's what it does for Habakkuk. He starts with asking questions and wondering what's going on. And he's brought to praise and worship. But we'll have to wait until next week to talk about that. give you a little tease to join us online there. (laughs) God cares about his name. He cares about his glory, and so he does not allow pretenders to his throne. He also cares to be known. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Behold, is, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Lord desires to be known. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. There will come a day when all the world will know without hesitation that he alone is Lord. And part of that is accomplished through the enduring witness of God, that nations do rise and fall, and yet the church remains. Oceans will rise and kingdoms will fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever, Scripture tells us. Countless have tried to silence the Lord. When Habakkuk was writing, no one thought the Babylonians could be defeated. Yet along comes Persia, and the job's done. Rome conquered the known world, and yet they fell. Fascist regimes, communist regimes, countless empires and claims to everlasting power, they rise and they fall, but the Lord remains. They all fell silent before him. Not even the apathy of the West can bring about the end of God's people. Nothing can, not even a global pandemic. 
Because the Lord has seen fit to use the continued presence of God's people to fill the world with the knowledge of his glory. And so we endure so that more and more people may know him. The mere fact that the church remains bears witness to the truth that God cares about being known. In the book of Acts, the Jewish council member and teacher Gamaliel, he instructs those around him that if the gospel is false, it'll die out. As so many other movements had before it. But if it endures, well then it might just be from God. Well, 2,000 years later, here we are. Well said, Gamaliel. And we are not here for our glory or our pride, but because the Lord desires to be known. He alone is God and he alone will be worshipped. And so he strengthens his people to endure. The comfort here is that remains true no matter what is happening. No matter what we face, worship of the Lord endures and he will make himself known. That is a massive comfort to me right now. As I prepare to go back to leading services from my couch. That is a massive comfort to me. Not even COVID can stop the gospel from being proclaimed. Nothing can. Whether it's in person gathered together. Whether it is streamed online. However it needs to happen. The gospel will be proclaimed. It will never stop. After all, one of the reasons that the Father sent the Son is that people might know Him. So that they might know the Father and be saved through the Son. In Jesus, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And so, in looking to Jesus, we see the Father. We see God. And then by empowered by His Holy Spirit, we, His people, make Him known however we can. And we do it each and every day, in any way we can, until the day comes when he returns and so fills the world with his glory that it's like the water covering the sea. It is everywhere. It is undeniable. Nothing will stop the Lord from making his name known. Nothing. Never doubt it. God cares about his name. He cares to be known. And make no mistake, he cares about his people. Look at the woes. We look at them and we recoil. But the flip side of all of these is that God cares about people. Woe is pronounced in verse 10 because people are being cut off. They're being shamed and put to death. Woe is pronounced in verses 15 and 16 because those with power are using it to shame those who they think are less than them. People are being dehumanized and treated as less than what they are, which is a creature made in the image of God. God doesn't look idly at something like that. He cares. He cares about the condition of the world. He cares about the poor and the downcast. He cares about the plight of the homeless and the addict and the widow and the orphan. He cares about isolation and loneliness. He cares. And so he doesn't sit idly. Please know 
that God's people care as well. If you're nervous about another shutdown, if you're alone or having feelings of anxiety or depression, whatever it might be, if you just need to talk to someone, your church is here for you. That's whether you're a member of St. Aidan's or not, whether you've been coming here longer than I've been alive or not, or whether we've never actually met you, you've just been watching online, your church is here for you. If you are in need, we're here. The Lord cares about the plight of his people, and so do his people. Don't hesitate to reach out. We have a team of people waiting to serve. And we do so remembering the ultimate promise of God, that he will act. He did in the first coming of Jesus paving the way that we might have right relationship with the Father again. Showing throughout his life that he does care about the outsider and the one who is suffering. And he will act again. And he shall come again to put an end to all of these things and bring judgment on those who have treated his people so shamefully who are separated from him. God has acted and will act because he cares about his name, he cares to be known, and he cares about his people. And one day we will all worship him together. We will be so struck by the awesomeness of God as his presence fills the entire world. Every idol, every sin, every wrong will be silenced for all time and his people will spend all eternity in the joy of the Father's presence. That sounds pretty comforting to me. And we see all of that because he was willing to pronounce woes. Those who remain apart from him, who live for idols and not for Jesus. That is the conviction and the comfort. That is what Jesus brings. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that there is conviction where we need convicting and there is comfort where we need comforting. Father, I do pray that in this Advent season you would convict us of the idols of our hearts. knowing in in assurance and comfort that you don't convict us for the sake of making us low to leave us there, but to build us back up in the image of your Son. And so, Father, would you bring us to repentance and would you bring us to the comfort of Jesus, knowing that you do care, that you do love us, and that you have made a people here that love others. Would you strengthen us in these days Comfort us by your Holy Spirit that we might continue in the good work that you have given us to do to praise and to proclaim Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.